Hello, everyone. Welcome to the happiest pod on earth. I'm Steph. And I'm Ariel. And I'm Josue. And we're all Disney fans. Woo! <laughs> but we're really so much more. Yes. I'm an educator who uses her passions and fandoms to help my students grow and learn about themselves and the world around them. And I'm a licensed therapist who uses clients' passions and fandoms to help them grow and heal from trauma and mental unwellness. And I used to host this podcast, and now I'm back. <laughs> And Happiest Pod is a place where we dissect Disney mediums with a critical lens. Why do we do that? Because just like we are more than just fans, we expect more from the mediums we consume. So, Josue, what are we talking about today? So, um, you know, last time I was here, uh, we, we, we wrapped up by saying what we were most looking forward to regarding Disney. And I said, Encanto was the thing that I was most looking forward to. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it delivered. Yes. <laughs> it sure did. So what specifically is Encanto, that word or term? How are we interpreting it? And then how are we interpreting it in the form of this movie? Hmm, good question. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what, what, what both of you think. I have, I've gone, I have like five layers now <laughs> when I watch the movie. We watched these, I don't know if they were called like shorts or like short interviews with um, Lin-Manuel and some of the cast members. And they were describing Encanto as like your joy, your magic, um, the, the the reason you live, the, um, uh, almost like not so much purpose, but um, the, the value that, that you see in your life, in your world, it, and that you can almost ascribe it to anything. You can ascribe it to a location, like this place is Encanto, or you can ascribe it to a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny in Spanish um, when you say like, I'm pleased to meet you or like it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. Mm -hmm. I guess it's it, it would most translate to in English like, oh, I'm charmed. Right. But 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 you say like, oh, you know, and like to meet you. It's like, oh, it's a pleasure. Um, and it can also uh, in, in Spanish, at, at least I do. Um, and, and in Puerto Rico, they use the, the word to like in English when we say um I really like something or like I love something. So in, in Spanish, you would say, you know, me gusta would be like, I like, but me encanta would be like, like, I love that thing. And it's almost like, again, like you're, maybe you're enchanted by it, right? Like there, there's something, I never think about it um, in that way. Uh, and so, so when I first heard about the movie, to me, it was like, oh, like, oh, there's this enchantment, right? And, and, and very much the, the magical fantasy fairy tale way and i had no idea what the movie was was going to be but i was like oh that that's cool it's like it's going to be a you know like a like a latin american fairy tale but i but i have a completely different way of thinking of the word now after watching the movie yeah definitely okay how did it change um well i i see it as uh an, an enchantment in the sense of uh, an illusion like something that's not real almost like a lie oh yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Trickery. Yeah. Yeah. It can definitely, I feel like it can definitely be that. No. I mean, for me, um, I speak Tagalog and obviously Tagalog has a lot of Spanish background and it pulls a lot from, you know, Spanish. And f when I heard Encanto, the, the word itself, I pull canta means to sing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm not sure about the evolution or the history of that, but when I watched it, I was like, oh, this makes sense. They're singing a ton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew that it meant something like enchantment and something like that because, you know, all the interviews and all the things that all the trailers that were leading up to it, you know, there's magic. Everybody has powers and, mm -hmm. you know, even the house is alive. Like, I knew it was going to be some sort of magical thing, but I just kept thinking sing in my head. Yeah. And even before knowing Lin-Manuel Miranda was involved in this, I was like, this is going to be a musical for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's an earworm. <laughs> yes. For everyone and everything. <laughs> it's everywhere. Uh, it's funny, the language aspect of it. And, and uh, I'm sure I'll bring this up like a hundred times <laughs> during this conversation. <laughs> but I went and I watched it in Spanish. And, I'm, and, and of course, there's a lot of Spanish words in it. I even watched part of it in French afterwards just to see how they treated the Spanish in it. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's really respectful. And, and I like that. One time I was watching it in English, I had the, the subtitles on the closed captions. And they mistranslated one of the, one of the words. In a, and it's so funny because just like you said, like Encanto, like, oh, Encanto has Canto, uh, uh, like the word singing in mm -hmm. the word. So there's a part um, in, in the Dos Uruguitas scene where they say um, in Spanish, it says, con sentimiento, 
which is with feeling. Mm-hmm. And in the subtitle, it says with consent, because <laughs> consentimiento yeah. is the word for consent. But <laughs> it's actually two words in the song with feeling, but they, they translated it as, as, as consent. <laughs> 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 I love language. I, anyway, I, I think that's going to play. I think that plays a big part of um, in the movie, like because the words that we use to describe things aren't necessarily the best ones or, 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 or we're not all in agreement. Mm-hmm. That Google Translate, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yep. not always reliable. And I feel as Disney reaches out and does more ethnic content, I mean, you really have to think about the way it's being translated into English. I mean... There's so many times I know, Josue, you know, when we're watching anime and you know certain words mean something in in Japanese, but then when you read the English subtitles, you're like, that's not what they mean. Uh, That's not exactly what they were trying to say, but I mean, I guess, good job. But it doesn't necessarily convey exactly what the feeling is. So I'm curious to see that, you know, how they're going to take it from now on. I mean, I mean, uh, so when I when I lived in Puerto Rico, whenever there was a Disney movie, it would always appear in theaters in spanish and i have feelings about that and as a kid and like that's a whole other podcast but i think you know they've and you can tell on disney plus like whenever you go into any of any new movie it's just in so many languages and you know that's i mean it's always been part of their thing but it's it's hard when you have songs too right like like so many disney movies are musicals and they have um, these songs that are translated and there's so much that can get lost in translation or completely it's there's just a lot right not just the cultural aspect i mean there, there's some movies right there's some disney movies that are that are so i don't know like you take aladdin um as a as a like a 90s mm-hmm. example and maybe i don't know hercules feels that way too i'm trying to think of a newer one where i had this feeling um but it's like they're making pop culture references mm-hmm. like of the moment, but of course there's like American pop culture references. Mm-hmm. And how do you translate mm-hmm. that in other languages and other, in other parts of the world? It's very, that's an art form in itself. Mm-hmm. I was watching TikToks with um, people who had watched the movie in English and in Spanish, and they had mentioned that there were parts that were more meaningful because they were in Spanish, that the way that they had to change the translation in English it it lost a little bit of its depth um and spoiler spoiler there's all spoilers don't listen to this if you haven't seen it we're gonna spoil it this is a spoiler i'm gonna mention again spoiler if you go to the end and say we spoiled it for you yeah because there's spoilers (laughs) turn off now listen to another episode if you have not seen encanto go real quick 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 it's on disney plus (laughs) and come back yes uh and so at the very end um i'm going to start with the very end someone had pointed out on TikTok that um in english we say uh, we made this for you and they gave a doorknob to maribel but i guess in the spanish version they're they actually said this was waiting for you hmm. oh that's different i don't remember that i was trying to i was trying to pick out small things like that because there's a lot of them Essentially, they were saying that the the nuance that you miss is that uh, she was always meant to have a door and that her door was always meant to be the house. And saying that we made this for you um, makes it sound like, again, it was a gathering of the family and the, the community connect this, which is what made the house come together. Yeah, I would have translated that as you finally get one because it was never written in the stars. But it makes so much more sense if I think about that it had always been there for you. You just needed to seek it out a different way. And it was the doorknob, like the exact design of the original one when she was a little kid, because it did have the M. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that changes the whole thing for me, because then it's not like they're finally giving her validation in the sense that they're accepting her it's validation in the sense that she had always been a part an essential part of the family which Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. much deeper than you know you can finally you know be a madrigal like you always wanted to be so that's interesting okay so so i'm looking at the the scene right antonio hands it to her in the subtitles in spanish it still says we made this for you esto espera aquí por ti he says in spanish which is like it's it's waiting for you. It's not so much like it, it was waiting for you, but I mean, there is a subtle difference. Like, I guess it, it, it could be like, we made this for you. It's been, we've been waiting to give it to you, or this has been here waiting for you. 
Yeah, the the TikToker had interpreted it as like this item had always been here and it's been waiting for you. And then to say that the family made it um, was is essentially alluding to um, for the American audience is like, oh, now your family accepts you versus like you always had value and purpose. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've found like four different interpretations for the movie in general. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but the, the language stuff, like subtle things like that can make a, a huge difference. Well, there's like the enchantment piece and the miracle. Like if you go back and you start looking at when they refer to it as the encanto and when they refer to the miracle, those are two different things, I think. Yeah, and, and then there's also the idea of the gift. In Spanish, they use two different words. In English, I guess you could say like, your gift or or um it's funny in french it says pouvoir which i believe is like power and then um but in spanish there's a word that's like don which is like it's more like uh talent or skill Mm, okay right like the nuance between saying Mm -hmm. like this is an ability like is this like an ability that you earned and grew and developed Mm -hmm. or an ability that you were given because of this miracle like there's there's a lot of nuance there and depending you know and and i didn't think about it until you you think of the different words in um again like uh, the language just even just in english is using different words can mean different things yeah and there, there's so much nuance um and i i don't know if i for me personally i've seen any other disney movie that has had that same nuance and maybe it's because i'm seeing more people talk about it and so that's what's having me notice or if the, it was intentional by the creators and maybe a mix of both mm-hmm. yeah i feel i feel the same way i was thinking i don't think i've ever studied a disney movie this hard <laughs> what makes it super helpful for like geek therapy conversations is is how relatable it can be and different ways that it is relatable the more helpful it can be and i keep seeing so many layers in it and mm-hmm. i don't know like i feel like Elsa's movies. What are Elsa's movies called? Oh, Frozen. And Frozen. Yeah. I'm like, what? Oh, what? I was about to say Ice Age for like a quick second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Same idea. No, those are DreamWorks. Those are technically not Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even Disney. <laughs> yes, yes. They're not even Disney. They fully have animals, not even people. This, so does that count as one? <laughs> Oh my gosh, we haven't counted in a very long time. <laughs> it is a new year. If you are a new audience member and you have not been uh, listening to our past uh, episodes, I have a tendency to name things very similar, but not the same. Uh, and they match in my mind. Um, and so I think this counts as one. <laughs> like consentimiento and consent. Yes, exactly. Ex- that is exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> the Ice Age one threw me for a loop. I had no idea where that came from. Well... I, I went in my head, so this is exactly what went in my head. He said, um, what was that Elsa movie? And I was like, Frozone, no, that's a character. So it must be something with ice, Ice Age, that's it, that's a movie. Oh, no, wait, no, it's Frozen. Frozone. I want to study you, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> do a deep dive. Let's do another rewatch of Ariel. <laughs> and see what we find out. <laughs> but anyway... Um, not studying me, studying the <laughs> movie that we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Frozen 1 was way more straightforward. Frozen 2 ha- had more depth, where like on a second viewing, I felt like, oh, that song means something different. Like, let it go just means let it go. Yeah. But yeah. like... Um, Into the Unknown. Into the Unknown has has some depth. <laughs> Right. It's like, wait a minute. Um, that's a few different things happening mm-hmm. at the same time. And this one, I feel just a lot of that. And and not just because of the of the language and, and the culture piece. I think just the story mm-hmm. that it's telling mm-hmm. um, has lots of different layers. It's almost like the last time I watched the movie, I felt like like I could see multiple things happening at once. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um like they're saying one thing, but at the same time, you see something else happening and you could interpret either one. I think I, I'm i glad that you mentioned that because I remember when I started to watch Encanto, it felt a little messy to me because I didn't know the perspective it was trying to take at first because she was introducing them as if like she was, yes, introducing us to her world and her family when she's talking to these kids. But then it was almost like a show she was introducing. Yeah. 
And I'm like, wait, is is it going to take that like breaking the fourth wall perspective? Is it not? Is she involved in this? The kids seem to be aware, but not fully informed of what's going on, which is why they're asking her all these things. And the opening number and they keep asking her, like, what's your gift? What's your gift? What's your gift? And she keeps avoiding it, avoiding it, avoiding it. Then you're like, OK, I see where this is going. You you're taking this outsider perspective, but like with an insider eye. And it it confused me for a bit. But then as the song kept going, I was like, OK, I kind of see what's happening here. And another thing is, I like how you mentioned Frozen. And I'm thinking Moana because all of those are not Pixar, but also CGI Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I feel like that depth and multi perspective, let's do another rewatch and see what else we get from this is very common in all of those movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when I think of that first intro song, I, I, when I saw it and I heard it, I immediately thought like, oh, at some point they're going to make this into a Broadway play because there's no way that this song isn't the start of a Broadway musical. Yes, exactly. And I was like, well, I know who wrote it. So that makes sense. Like, okay. But then I got that, that shift when they were pressing her and pressing her. I was like, oh, there's a tonal shift here. Mm-hmm. Watching the shorts, um, there's like a part uh, Lin-Manuel wrote as a trumpet sound and and then she had to sing it like that trumpet sound and he he was like well i trusted that you know somebody could do it um i I trusted that she could do it but when you hear the way the trumpet goes and how she sings it it's like she's cracking in her voice Mm -hmm. it's like oh my god they're gonna catch they're gonna they're gonna know that i'm the one who's not gifted yeah 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 she sings it hurriedly too like she's just like uh I i can't really keep up and i'm like really trying to avoid it but i mean even mentioning that her voice is cracking, that kind of alludes to the house later on. Yes. So, yeah. Symbolism, death. It's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so deep. There's so much. So much. I just, I just had one of the funniest jokes I saw online about the, that song at the beginning was um, that there's only six cousins. She makes it seem like so complicated. And so there's only six cousins. That's it. The family's not that big. They all fit in one house. <laughs> Doesn't it make you think of your family? And you're like, um, I have to keep track of like 16 to 20 something. And she's only keeping track of six. <laughs> yeah. Like I went to visit a, 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 um, an aunt once in um, like my grandmother's sister in Delaware. And they owned like eight houses in the area. And there were over 40 cousins at that point. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I have, I have, I'd never even met them all. And I was there for two days. Yeah. So <laughs> I think maybe that would have blown the general audience's mind a little bit too much. <laughs> but but my favorite part of that of the of that whole scene is at the end when um uh the the kids at the end say like I think your I think your power is denial. <laughs> denial is now just a river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> your power is denial. If we were like, mm-hmm, I can relate. Yeah, yeah. I subscribe. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did the opening, the Family Madrigal song, remind you of um, the first song in Beauty and the Beast? Hmm. Because of the way it was paced and that, you know, just keeps getting faster and faster. And just like in Beauty and the Beast, how like the townspeople end up joining along mm-hmm. at the end. I immediately went to Beauty and the Beast and I'm like, oh, this is like the same pacing, but like on a grander scale. So I don't know if you guys... It, it reminded you of anything, but I was just like, oh, this is kind of like, it's kind of like Beauty and the Beast, where we're being introduced to this. Yeah, now. and it's an introduction, yeah, to the characters and the location, right? It's like literally moving you through and, yeah, welcome to the, although in this case, it's welcome to La Familia Madrigal, right? And there it's like, what what, what does it say in, in Beauty and the Beast? They're, th- they're singing about Belle. Oh, right. It's like an introduction to her in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, curious. Where did everybody see it? I watched it right when it was re- the day it was released at home. Yeah. So I did have to pause a couple times because of my child. <laughs> he did sit through like the first five minutes of it because it was just like lots of colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. And then he just bounced. He's like, mm, this is too much exposition for me at this point. I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out, mama. <laughs> Bye. Tell me, tell me the synopsis later. I'll listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it um, at home as well. Uh, COVID 
you know, mm. I wanted to. I couldn't bring myself to, to do it. And um, and so, yeah, it was a couple of days after it came out on Disney Plus that I saw it. So I, I saw it in theaters when it came out um, that, that opening weekend uh, in Thousand Oaks, which for those who aren't around here, that's like the Ridge neighborhood. <laughs> and the funny thing is their AMC tickets are cheaper than our area, which is not the Ridge neighborhood. So that's odd. Uh, but we chose that one really because there was when we bought the tickets like that night, there were only two other people in the theater. So I was like, oh, and it was lounger seats. And it was one of those like you could order from your seat if you wanted to. Um, and it was uh, my roommate uh, Greg and my roommate Travis, who we um, have had on the podcast before. Um, we got up close parking. It was actually very magical. There was nobody in the theater. The musical was great. The movie was great. We And then I bought the ectoplasm popcorn bucket from uh, Ghostbusters. They had one. Um, it was a gift from my partner. It did not have uh, any signatures on it. Um, so apparently, uh, What's-His-Face had signed them secretly, some of them. Uh, uh, Slimer. Uh, <laughs> Bill Murray? Dan Aykroyd. That's it, Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were going to uh, get there. Slimer was yeah. a good guess, though. <laughs> <laughs> Blah. Uh, I really liked it in theaters. Uh, I felt bad for the, like, the other two people that were there because I think they were on a date and they probably would have liked to just have the theater to themselves. And it was just like these three mooches like in the middle. <laughs> Sucks to be them. Nah, they, they knew what they were getting into. They knew what they are getting into. Pick another theater. Good job, nice try. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did you watch it at night, Ariel? Did watch it at night. It was a Saturday night. Um, I, I will be honest, when I first saw it in theaters, so much was had happened like in the movie. When I left, I was like, I don't know. I can't tell if I like this or not. And then in watching it at home with um, my roommates who also sort of uh, other roommates. I have too many roommates. Um, we live in LA, so that's what happens. But anyways, uh, they also said, well, I don't know if I like this or not. I have to think about this. And I had already processed it that I loved it. And I think the pause for me was I was I was looking for a bad guy. Mm. I, for me, the what I took was like the bad guy being essentially generational trauma. Oh, yeah. Because I was looking for that that boogeyman to just like pop out and never did. I was like, where's I'm, I don't know if I feel resolution yet. When I saw it the from that lens the second time, I, I loved it because I saw the intricacies and like like facial expressions and nods and um, the way people were communicating with each other. And and even like I would say for a lot of the women, like, man, they're most expressive facial expressions. Like if I look at other Disney princess movies or other Disney movies with women, like they got two faces like that's that's pretty much about it. And I, I could see just like and like Luis's eye twitching. <laughs> like It was great. It was great. I think Moana and the Frozen movies do the same thing. They're like, there's, it's everybody's misunderstood or they, they have different intentions, right? And like, there's no, there's no bad guy in them um, or love interest either. <laughs> Both movies are very family centric. Yeah. I mean, Frozen, you have the struggle between the two sisters, now Sans' parents, and how they're navigating their community, their world, and their responsibility. Same with Moana. What is her responsibility as somebody coming into this established um, family and path for her? And then now you're talking about um, Maribel and what is her role? There isn't a clear path because she's an outlier, technically. So where does she fit in in this puzzle, which is so essential to her community? Like those unknowns become your villain. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it, it almost feels too real and unsettling. And it's like, but this is a movie about a family with magical powers. Like, how how can it hit very, very close to yeah. home? I was like, they're mutants. Yeah, that's cool. Mutants. <laughs> <laughs> I need Professor Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a grandma. <laughs> All Disney movies after Frozen are also uh, just super. Everybody's got superpowers. That's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Moana didn't think she did, but I mean, she did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, technically. she's. <laughs> yeah, the bad guy. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, the more I've watched the movie, I guess I've watched it three times now, and it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't realize what was really happening. Now I see other things. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I think even watching it at home, and I, I live at home with my family, and, you know, we're a multi-generational family living in here. It was too real. 
So mm. I was like, wait, these are feelings that I feel on a daily basis, this generational trauma. So I had to like, I remember, because I was watching it, you know, it's it's bright in there. It's not like, you know, you can hide your emotions because it's dark. Like, we're just watching it, me, my husband, my brother, and, you know, my son running around. My parents are, like, in the kitchen. And I'm just, like, shielding myself, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Let me just wipe this tear real quick. Um, I need to go to the bathroom, but you can keep watching. <laughs> so so how, do, how do you both define the generational trauma? Like, like how, how would you, which generational trauma do you see in the movie? as the kind of the obstacle or the the, the negative thing in the movie? For me, I, I do um, see it as starting with um, Abuela's experience. I don't want to say starting with Abuela, uh, and simply because I think that um, she obviously suffered great grief and loss. Um, she had to be uh, a single mother um, to, to triplets, which like single mother one would already be difficult. Um, but I think it was the displacement and the colonization. I uh, They showed it very subtly um, in the b- very beginning when she's telling the story of their of their miracle. And then you see it more in depth later on. Um, but I think that um, if I were to look at it from my white side, I wouldn't see that. I would think the generational trauma is that Abuela is kind of like really mean. That's that's how I would just paint it as this like basic thing. When I'm looking at it from my Filipino side and that lens, I see that displacement and colonization being so huge because literally having to start from the ground up of building a, a community and a family um, and creating support networks uh, and it being really all on her to support the family. I and and literally her. I don't know, power of like, she built walls. Technically, she like, mm-hmm. she built mountains <laughs> and she built walls. That desire to protect constantly, yeah. I think that is where the generational trauma started because that over need to protect didn't allow everyone else their individuality in the way that they probably could have embraced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- uh, is it, has it like been confirmed or in any of the shorts or anything like that, that, what they experienced was like that the people that were attacking the town, like who they were or or what was happening. Cause the, the movie itself doesn't say. Yeah. I haven't seen anyone actually confirm that. I would say that I I'm just seeing it from that lens. And uh, I think just because it's placed in, in Colombia and I'm thinking of the history of that community, it, it would just make sense. Even if the invaders were not colonizers and essentially this was potential civil war, civil unrest or, um, neighboring uh, town taking over uh, this town. Um, Abuela is still uh, displaced and at minimum a refugee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colombia, I mean, a lot of countries do. And and I'm not super familiar with uh, the history of Colombia. And I don't know when sort of this takes place. But yeah, the, the impression I got was like, there's just, they're just bad people, right? It's like we're we're escaping violence, which like today, so many people are displaced because they're they're, and and so many people enter the United States right through um uh, they try to cross the border because they're escaping mm-hmm. different types mm-hmm. of violence, whether it's from the government or whether it's from you know um other you know either criminal um activity or other things, like people are, are leaving because they're trying to find a a better place for their families, a place where, where they, they can feel safe. And so they had to leave because like we do see violence at the very least, right? It's not, it's not, um, I think it's up for interpretation. It could definitely, and colonization can obviously be very violent, but it, it seemed like just people coming in and, and they literally killed the abuelo, right? So, so there's, and they're burning down houses. Yeah. But I like that the movie doesn't confirm it either way because again you can you can read it in a few different ways. Really interestingly, I was also looking for other um individuals in the town that were Abuela's age. Mm. Um and I I wasn't seeing that a lot. Mm. They seemed slightly younger. Mm-hmm. But not as young as her children. Yeah. Maybe like a little bit older. So that's interesting. Yeah. Because we saw Mariano's mom, but we didn't see Mariano's grandmother or grandfather. That's true. Yeah, I think that like her being a matriarch for the town, it's that added pressure. Um, and because I was in that in this my rewatches, I was trying to find like maybe there are these other people that are like 
a boyless crew, you know, like the elders of the town. And I was not seeing. <laughs> oh, that. no, she is the elder of the. <laughs> she is the crew. She is the crew. And I think that's part of the loneliness of, you know, migrating. Um, for me, I saw a lot of, you know, my grandma. I mean, my grandparents who migrated here. Um they're not all here anymore. So I could only imagine what they went through. And we as third generation, I guess, don't hear about those stories. And so it was very relatable um, watching all of the grandchildren, all of the kids even, not having that story in their head to go off of. And that's, you know, maybe something that they can identify with Abuela, but she kept it all locked in because it was so traumatizing for her that she just did not want to revisit that. And I mean, even personally for me, I didn't hear about our migration story until I was a full-grown adult. Um, and I had to pry and ask because they just, it's its just not something that they want to talk about. And it makes, makes total sense. And, you know, seeing that they had to start a new life in a whole new place. They just wanted to protect what they could control, which was essentially how we took school, how we picked our careers. Mm -hmm. And all of that was kind of already laid out for us because they knew it was a sure shot. You're going to make money doing this. You're going to, you know, have a stable job. But if there was any deviation from that, it was kind of like, mm, I don't know. And mm -hmm. are you really part of this family or are you even really thinking of, you know, what, how how much difficulty it took for us to get here and to establish a life here? So there were many, many layers as I was thinking about it. And these thoughts didn't come to me until like almost the end of the movie, especially when they flashed back to what actually happened on the river. Like that's when it was like, boom, it hit full force. And I was like, wow, there's there's a lot happening in you know abuela's experience and up until then you're talking about mirabelle and mm -hmm. we've been calling her maribel mirabelle's yeah. experience <laughs> and how she, you know you see her as the full protagonist like you know why doesn't she have her power why isn't she you know she's special too and you know look at all these amazing things that she's doing she's supporting the family keeping them together and you almost antagonize abuela because mm -hmm. she keeps being that's her roadblock but then once that breaks, you're just like, oh, wow, there's so much more that she doesn't even see. And it's mm -hmm. not even having to do with whether she has a power or not. It's really about, you know, what role she brings individually to the family. Even when you're talking about those lost stories and narratives, when I think of, of this story and how it aligns with a lot of my clients who are second or third generation, <clears throat> they talk about whole families they don't know. And we don't know. Uh, um, uh, Abuela's family. Maribel doesn't know if she has other cousins on that side, other aunts and uncles. Um, it was this this huge cutoff that's probably never never going to be healed mm -hmm. or reconciled. That unspoken questioning, like uh, like we don't talk about Bruno, right? Like there's there's those family members who it's like in in some cases I don't even know if they exist. That's how that's how much um, sacrifice my families had to make, especially when I think of my clients who um, are refugees, uh, specifically like my Cambodian clients, mm -hmm. um, th just whole sides that they can't ask their parents, or their grandparents about because they were like the when we made the sacrifice to survive. We we also essentially have to say, I'm not going to think or talk about them because if I do, I would be in too much grief. I wouldn't be able to move on in my life. I have to pretend that that part of my life never happened. Mm -hmm. As if they were responsible. Mm -hmm. So uh, that the scene at the end, Abuela says, I've never come, I've never been here since, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I mean, like literally she hasn't been to this location, but like metaphorically, right. It's like, I don't, I don't talk about this. I don't think about this. I don't mm -hmm. come back here. And, and, but she, she had literally built a mountain between the town and where that happened. Mm -hmm. So she didn't right? she didn't want to revisit that, um, the power of denial. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> um, so like, there's this literal piece of like, oh, like I haven't actually been here. And then. Again, like whenever you watch a movie, right? It's two hours. We can make a lot of assumptions about what what they do or haven't talked about over the years mm -hmm, at the dinner mm -hmm, table. Mm -hmm. But but Mirabel says, "Now I see. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know this story. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and she had never seen that place, right? When she, when they see that that moment in in Bruno's uh, vision, it's like, where is that? It's like nobody knows where that is. No one's ever seen it except Abuela. No one's ever been there. Yeah, they've never been outside of the, you know, the community. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so like everything you're saying, right? Like they they showcase that uh, literally. <laughs> they actually they actually play with those ideas at the end. This isn't something that we talk about. Um, yeah, or or would visit. Yeah, everybody has that one family member that they don't like talking about, <laughs> and that was super relatable. Um, I feel there's, I mean, there's so many stories like as as a child, and I think looking at it as a child's perspective, like watching it, you're just like, yes, I have lots of family members. They're in and around. I see most of them sometimes. I mean, even now, I feel like post or during this pandemic, you're seeing less and less of these people. You know, you are not, especially if you're from another country, you're not traveling back to see and connect with these people. So as far as you know, they could be fairy tales. So if you, you know, ask, there's only so much information that's going to be divulged to you um, because, you know, not everybody goes to their family tree like that. And I, I even see it. We, we do a family tree um, activity in, I think it's first or second grade. And it, we have to give them at least a month because they can't they can't fill as much as possible because some of that information isn't there, especially for my students who, you know, migrated here or my students who, you know, families migrated here. They have to do some digging. Being able to identify that as a kid, you're just like, oh, wow, do I have other cousins? Do I have other family? What? Who are these people? How do I connect to them? And then you open up Pandora's box and then all of a sudden they just want to know everything about their families <laughs> yeah the way they show that you know that that song with bruno and like like the version in everybody's mind that story that everybody tells and then when you meet him he's so different from mm-hmm. that and he's giving you his perspective on things he, he really really does that a little bit when he's talking to mirabel and then at the end in the song right he's like he comes right out because like in, in the in the um when we talk about bruno's song they talk about how he ruined the wedding Yes, and mm-hmm. immediately when he gets his part to sing at the end, he's like, "Let me set the record straight." It's like, "I this is what I was saying." Like, "I love you." And I just I like it wasn't even a vision, right? I, right, but everything I say, you know, I'm always everything I do is wrong. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what I do; it's interpreted incorrectly. Even when he shows Mirabel the vision, mm-hmm. right, and she like interprets a certain uh, interprets it a certain way, and he's like, "Oh, every time." Right? <laughs> So here we go again. Yeah, again. <laughs> this is why I send the rats yeah. out. <laughs> I don't want to deal with you people. <laughs> well, and looking at like family systems and roles, Bruno could be or is identified essentially as the first black sheep of the family. Yeah. I mean, so much so that he is so desperately trying to connect through even the cracks of his room and the food, which is such an essential part of family and gathering, him just reaching out through that wall and getting scraps, like that was, oh my gosh, my heart. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I get that. It's, it's like not being invited to the family party and just getting scraps from whoever reaches out to you. Like, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. He says, my, my gift wasn't helpful for the fam- to the family. So like, like I was a burden kind of right um or my gift was a burden yeah i mean that can mean so many things it could be you know your your values your beliefs the way you know you choose to identify yourself it could be the career choices you make there's so many different ways to connect and interpret that into you know everyday lives of navigating around family community and connection really between yeah blood relatives i also think when like again that family systems the person bruno was protecting was um mirabelle Mm -hmm. and she is the new generation black sheep um the difference is that he he left well he was ostracized and then chose to leave now we come to find out he's living in the walls yeah (laughs) she's the one who stays and tries her best to conform to the family try try to find a, a place to 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 be um, useful, to try and, and be appreciated, understood. She's really working hard. And I think that um, that makes her a very different black sheep because she gets the pain in, in person 
of, of just the regular rejection. She, um, I, I almost picture her as like the kid that, um, well, you didn't get the lead in the play. You were only the tree. So that's not something to celebrate. Not the fact that you went out and did something fun for yourself or that you uh, stepped out of um, your comfort zone and like joined the theater group. It's the fact that you didn't show that you were the best. Yeah. 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 Even um, when we're thinking about Bruno being able to see the future, that makes me think of um, someone who's just an insightful in a family that sees the way things are interconnected. And it's like, you spoke about it. That's why you're being ostracized. That's why you're the you're the black sheep. You highlighted stuff that we all, you know, um, agreed was going to not be highlighted in the way that you presented it. You were you were too honest. He was just yeah. speaking facts. Yeah. Yep. He was just yeah. speaking facts, and they were like, "No, no, no, we don't like that fact." Yeah, I think that that's my, or the the one that resonates the most with me, like that that um, version of it right like that metaphor of like you need to shut up man like you can, you got to stop saying you got to stop spitting facts you cannot tell people how it is you need to choose your delivery it's like but I'm, like it's what i do like i just like i'm like a, a an opposite version of that would be like oh you know he's a town oracle and he helps us you know yeah. by foreseeing the future yeah, and, and helping yeah. us prepare for the things that are coming mm-hmm. but instead everybody's like oh this asshole he told me i'm gonna yeah. get fatter i'm gonna lose my hair and look it did yeah. killed my goldfish <laughs> yeah yeah he just said it and it happened yeah, and yep. it happened it wasn't mm. the fact that i wasn't feeding the goldfish <laughs> or like oh my goldfish is gonna die then like let me let me enjoy this time with it right and like let me prepare for it nobody saw it that way mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think i mean every power we can go through like how each of them was a blessing and a curse. A blessing and a curse. Yeah, they're like gifts in in uh, in uh, in quotations, right? Mm-hmm. Well, do we want to go through everyone's powers, or do we want to talk about their doors, or do we want to talk about their clothes? Because I'm gonna tell you, <laughs> my my art therapy symbolism, all the colors, like it'd be coming out. So <laughs> I'm, I'm following your lead. I mean, I think we can shift to visually how beautiful this movie was, yeah. and I think celebrating color and how they played with color and shadow and light and making Bruno look super drab um, mm-hmm. spoke to our visual appetite of, you know, what we expect from a, not only a Disney movie, but a Disney CGI movie. So if you look at Bruno's, um, yeah, well, if you look at his outfit, his rags, poor guy, his rags, <laughs> um, for anybody who goes to the Disney parks, the Disney Imagineers created two colors to hide objects in plain sight that they do not like. And one of them is called Go Away Green. And that is the color of his outfit. And if you look at the movie posters, he is in plain sight. He's in the background next to all the green objects. Huh. And like, to me, that we don't talk about Bruno, but he's been here the whole time. And yeah. we actually do talk about him. It's just in whispers and away from Abuela. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Go Away Green was just like so... Uh, in your face of like how yeah. we treat this character. That's so cool. You see him in the shadows, but only on a yeah. second like watch. You're like, oh, there he is. Yes, in the song when Dolores is singing and she's doing the and hip he's, like, movement. In the Boom. Back. There he is. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Go so away cool. green. That's hilarious. Yeah. The other thing with the colors is that Peppa's side, how you can tell who's related to who is Peppa's side of the family is wearing warm tones and mm-hmm. Julieta's side of the family is wearing cool tones. Mm. And the interesting thing is that Abuela's a purple, so sort of like a mix of warm and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, go away green is actually, you know, getting more towards the cool side. And that's also where the person who is the new generation black sheep is. So it also shows you somewhat of how the family is split. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mirabel is expresses a lot of those purple tones, which implies mm-hmm. that she draws from everyone, both sides. You could see mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. of everybody's color in her skirt, the flowers on her shirt, and the fact mm-hmm. that it's white. Yes. Um, that says a lot because her shirt is white. It's white and black. And, you know, it makes all of the other colors stand out, which says a lot about her role in the family. Yes, yes, that she um, essentially highlights everyone's powers and celebrates them. Um, and 
the other interesting thing is the patterns on everyone's outfits. Mm -hmm. um, so Abuela has uh, butterflies and so does uh, Mirabelle, mm -hmm. um, sort of alluding to that moment in the future um, and alluding to how connected they are to the, the, the miracle or the magic or the encanto um, and how they each celebrate their family members' gifts, but very differently because Abuelo is essentially saying you have to use the gift in this very specific way and um, Mirabelle saying like no it's your gift celebrate it how you know would be beneficial for you and and you know um, it doesn't have to be a burden mm -hmm. butterflies everywhere butterflies everywhere butterflies yeah. in the sky <laughs> let's see okay other outfits um okay Julieta has a mortar and pestle and hearts and mm -hmm. she's the person who heals through cooking through cooking, through the cooking, and a mortar and pestle can be used for for um, uh, medicine, and it can be used for food. Like that's mm -hmm. that's the interesting thing about it. And I think the hearts are important because she tells Mirabelle that she healed her with her love. Yeah, my love healed you. <laughs> I love healed you. What a mom thing to say. <laughs> um, Peppa has the sun earrings and the sun dress, so you know weather. Mm -hmm. Bruno has hourglasses, um, like for time. Mm -hmm. Dolores has sound waves on her um, collar. Uh, Isabella obviously has flowers almost everywhere. Uh, Luisa has dumbbells at the bottom of her skirt. <laughs> she does. Camillo uh, has chameleons on his outfit, and I think his name even means chameleon. <sighs> Damn. <laughs> wow. I miss that. It looked pretty plain to me. Well, I mean, he's always like shape-shifting, right? He's always shape-shifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, Antonio at first had, um, doesn't have anything. And then when he gets his door, he changes his outfit and it has animals on it. Cute. And then very interestingly, um, Julieta's husband, Augustine, who is like mm -hmm. very protective of Mirabelle, um, his outfit has a piece for each daughter. So he's got a flower in his pocket and then his socks, one sock has dumbbells and the other one has embroidery. Oh, I need a... I need to zoom in on these mm -hmm. details. Okay, the other thing that I thought was really interesting with the doors is mm -hmm. that everyone's door picture, their doors of them as an adult, except mm -hmm. Antonio. He's the only one who has a kid. And mm -hmm. that to me really represents like the generational curse being broken because mm -hmm. he's the one who got to grow up with his power and choose like how it benefit for him. Whereas everybody else, when theirs is going to be broken was when they were adults. And it's like, this is how far your power is going to go. Yeah. And and then there's kind of like this end point of like, it's just going to be up to the family if they decide to continue to flourish or if that's it. Hmm. Um, they all take a picture with Abuela in front of their door and hmm. they're all little kids in front of their door, but their door is an adult. I don't know what that's photos, like the photos that you're referring to. Um... They're, they're actually on the wall. So is there a photo that shows them as children? In the photo, but at a, their yes. adult version on the door? Yes. Oh. Yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. So okay. it's taken right when they got their powers. Oh. Huh. That's a hell of an attention to detail if that, if that, uh. This is one screen grab. This is the first one that I could find. And see how their, their doors are all taller than them. But with Antonio, he's about the same size. There's Dolores, and her hair is big. I like how Bruno's looks super scary right <laughs> what yeah i know that there's been a lot of like easter eggs um that people have been seeing i haven't quite looked at all of them but it seems like there's much more to discover aside from seeing bruno creep in the back during the songs because like we mentioned earlier in the podcast there was just a lot happening and a, a, a lot of that continues to happen through the story because there's a lot of people that you're keeping track of. There's a lot of stories you're keeping track of. There's a lot. There's just a lot you're you're processing at the moment. So it would be easy for them to embed something, especially within the house, because the house itself it's its it's its own character. Yes, it represents the family. So and it's alive. So, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a lot of things that either foreshadowed or explained. The, the symbolism is is all over the place, right? And, and in some ways, like referring to the clothes, it's like in your face. If you watch the movie in English, the scene where with the flashback at the river, it plays Dos Oruguitas in Spanish, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, 
I'm assuming when you saw it in theaters, Ariel, there were no subtitles for the song. No, none, none. It was just um, playing in Spanish so that, uh, I mean, I got the feeling for what was being presented. It was really emotional. So, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, so if you watch, um, if you watch it till the end, then it mm-hmm. plays the English version of the song. Of Dos Oruguitas during the credits. Oh, credits. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then if you listen to the actual lyrics, like if if the song, if Dos Oruguitas was translated during that scene, it would, it literally explains some things that it's it's very literal, the song in English. It's it's way more um, subtle in Spanish, but the, the very literal version kind of explains a bunch of stuff. And when I've, when I saw it again, so many things jumped out, like... Sure, we talked about like the butterflies and the clothing. The song is Dos Oruguitas, two caterpillars. Mm. Like the song is all about two butterflies and Abuela and Mirabel are the butter. Like I've gone through different interpretations of the song, but when you rewatch it, like just put the subtitles on for the song as it's going and you're like, oh, and it's, a, and that's actually, I mean, the way I've interpreted this mm-hmm. is that the song goes into, it. it's actually two stories. Um, there, it's Abuela's story with with Pedro and then Abuela's story with Mirabel. And and it's like, oh, um, you know, like, we're in love, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then the point is when something changed, like, we were trying to avoid anything changing, right? Like, we talked about the generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And then once things changed as a caterpillar, I created a cocoon. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That hard shell. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Once you go through, you're like, oh, she made a cocoon around the town around herself mm-hmm. for every mm-hmm. single one of her children mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then as you keep listening to the song and then you see and like it, it again like now i can't unsee it but it's like in the song at the end it's like oh now we're talking about this butterfly who breaks cocoons open mm-hmm. and sets oh. people free and you're like damn yeah. it and like the yellow <laughs> butterfly is there at the beginning of that scene yeah in front of Pedro, right? Like in the scene when 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 Abuela mm-hmm. meets him, mm-hmm. um, and then it appears again for Mirabel, right? It's like it's like it's it's Abuela's story in two parts with two different people. Like she tried to hold on so hard to the first one, and then the second person who came along mm-hmm. is the one who's breaking all the cocoons. And like if you look at that at the again, we're, we're talking about this visual storytelling that's almost separate. There's something going on there, right? Like it's it's almost like the more I the more I think about the movie, the more I realize that everybody thinks that they're doing one thing. Like everybody's just misinterpreting their own ability and misusing it, right? So yeah, Abuela wants to protect, but she's gone beyond protecting. Now she she doesn't. This is what the song is all about. Like the song telegraphs the whole story. Oh, okay, I'm protecting, but now I don't want to let go. And the song is all about like. You have to let go. Like that's mm-hmm. part of the process, little caterpillar. You're never <laughs> like that's the miracle. The miracle is like you growing. And so there's this visual. And I think this is why I think that actually Mirabel does have a power. And like I can go into all that because visually the cracks always stem literally from where she is. And there's a like even when she goes to Bruno's cave, like and she like stomps on the ground, she like she she breaks the floor. Like and she, oh. and whenever she meets with any of her sisters um, or her cousins, she she makes everybody. She basically takes down the barriers, right? Like she's like, Luisa, do you want to talk? And she's like, No. Boom! She she bursts into song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a freaking awesome song. <laughs> with Peppa, right? She's like, um, you know, but Bruno. And she's like, We don't talk about Bruno, but, but. <laughs> on my wedding day, blah 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 blah. Right when she's talking to Isabella, she's right. She's literally her like hype man in the background yeah. right she's like yeah. in the song she's like yeah. grow grow mm-hmm. rise rise as she's doing this thing so she's taking everybody to, she's breaking down all these barriers and basically like the more i've again i've, I've obsessively listened to dos Oruguitas. um today i listened to it twice simultaneously by accident because i set an <laughs> alarm with it and i was listening to it separately on my phone and it was playing twice it was so it's funny. echoing itself <laughs> So there's this like this visual pattern throughout the movie from the very beginning where it's almost like what she's doing is uh, what Mirabel is able to do is always take down these barriers or or um like destroy the cocoon. So like I think that the the doors the rooms are abuela's way to create 
another cocoon for them and protect them as much mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I made your perfect room? Yeah. Right? You'll be the safest place I can possibly make for you is like is like the room of your dreams. Mm-hmm. And she creates this for each of them. And then but Mirabel's power is the opposite of that, right? It's like not to create it's it's to unite everybody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she touches the door and it just disappears. It's like nope. That's yeah. why I think that at the end when the door when she when she touches the door, it mm-hmm. creates a new door with mm-hmm. everybody on it, including yeah. The, yes. the family members who don't have powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you go back into the house, the new, the newly magified house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> new casita. <laughs> yeah, all the doors are, have disappeared. Like they're not there anymore. They're just blank. They're just like, they're, they're like portals. They don't actually have the doors on them anymore because she's like, she's broken the the chrysalis i think she's like broken all the cocoons <laughs> even in the vision when you turn it it's almost like the the cracks are sprouting out of her mm-hmm. they almost look like wings if you, in in a way right but it's like she's she's literally breaking all the cocoons all of this stuff and again you could you could translate to like she's breaking the barrier of uh talking about the trauma she's mm-hmm. breaking the barriers of secrets now it's it's almost frustrating i go through the movie and i see I see all of those things and we see all of that symbolism and then you see that the family doesn't see it, right? Like the family is completely, they're always missing the mark. Like like we had that whole conversation about Bruno just now, like everything, he could have been so helpful to you had you just reframed your thinking. And now that as we're talking about this, I'm like, yeah, what comes out of a cocoon must, it will, and you'll never know, It'll, it might be much more beautiful than what you were trying to protect. And I think that's what Mirabel was, you know, trying to convey, even though she didn't know it herself. Because what comes out of a cocoon sometimes is unpredictable. It may look one way, it may look another, but um, it has to go through that transformation. I think that's what happens between generations. Families transform and change. They don't always look like the generation previous, the one right before, they're all different. And, you know, it goes with the evolving of relationships, how we view them, how we see them, how we connect with generations before us, given mm-hmm. what we have to deal with in present day. Again, Dos Oruguitas, it, it mentions a world changing and turning always, and you don't want anything to change. So you've created this cocoon and, you know, I didn't even I hadn't even thought about like the outside world until right now in in that movie but um yeah I mean that's that's kind of that's another metaphor right there right like if you if you close yourself off from the world like you stop you stop learning I think in the English version of the song I don't think it says this in the Spanish version the English version of Dos Oruguitas it goes uh, or two oruguitas is what it's called in English. Um, <laughs> uh, if you check the soundtrack, it 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 talks about like we're um, every day we're we're loving and learning, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, and then but once we close ourselves off, we stop learning. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Did they actually say the name of the town? I don't think so. No. Like it's no. just Abuela's mm. hood. Like we like. I don't think so. No. No. So I looked up Abuela's name earlier today, and I couldn't remember that they mentioned it in the movie. Oh yeah, what's her name? But her name is, her name is Alma. Oh, um, oh Abuela Alma. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that. I've got an Abuela Alma. Oh. <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's funny. Well, before we end today, I yes. do want to mention I made. Arrepas con queso last night. Mm-hmm. Freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've never had it authentically, so I'm going to say it, it, it tasted good from what I was able to put together from watching three different TikToks and binging with Babish. Um, <laughs> they looked good on in your Instagram stories. Thank they look good. I use um, mozzarella and Hawaiian cheese. What mm. I found out is it needs to be a low moisture cheese, whatever mm-hmm. you put in there. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's gotta, uh, it's gotta be like stringy kind of, but like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've, uh, I've had them in street fairs and stuff and the stands always, they always call them mozzarepas, like mozzarella arepas, right? Yeah, that's what Benjamin Babish called it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There used to be a food truck that would go to my old apartment complex every Thursday and, uh, 
they only made that at us and it was so good and it was i look forward to it every thursday <laughs> and i was just like i need more of this in my life so every time there's like and that i have a stand at like a street fair or like a pop-up i'm like oh my god let's go because there's so few and far in between here i mean even in la which you could probably find any sort of cuisine out here you gotta seek them out so you know i don't remember the name of that truck but they were doing the lord's work <laughs> I had a lot of people saying that, like, arepas looked exactly like pupusas. Um, and so the difference is that pupusas are filled before you cook them, and arepas and gorditas are stuffed after you cook them. And then pupusas and gorditas, they're made with instant corn mesa, and arepas are made with pre-cooked cornmeal called masa arepa. So, um, so if you make it here, you're probably going to find instant corn mesa. So it probably is going to taste more like a pupusa. But if you have access to a masarepa, then you'd be good to go. I mean, that's the difference between store-bought tortillas and, you know, hechas a mano, right? (laughs) So different. (laughs) They look good in the movie. Disney, you did good. Those Mm -hmm. arepas look good. Yeah. Well, if you want to uh, give us your thoughts on Encanto, your theories, uh, anything that you discovered, please uh, tweet at us at HappiestPodGT um, or DM us uh, on Instagram at HappiestPodGT. We would love uh, to hear uh, if you tried Arepas. As always, just you know, go to GeekTherapy.org, check out everything we're working on, all the different um, shows and uh, projects that we're cooking up. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. I want to talk about this movie all the time. I know. <laughs> Let's do some more. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Yes. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, happy New Year. Bye. Bye.